I was in the hospital uh, two or three weeks ago and sitting by someone's bedside with his wife beside me. She turned to me and she said, I prayed so earnestly that my husband would get better. But now I've been told that he won't. That's the first prayer I've ever prayed that God hasn't answered. Thank goodness I did have the good sense not to put her straight and say, does God always have to say yes? Isn't no just as much an answer? I just kept quiet and held her hand. When terrible things happen, people don't need explanations. They just need space to express the pain and someone to understand. Of course, God doesn't always say yes. Of course he doesn't. Maybe we've prayed for something that he knows would be hurtful or dangerous in the long run. Maybe our prayers are inadequate in some way. Perhaps they're too self-centred. Perhaps we're in danger of treating him like a benign grandparent who can't deny us anything. Some answers to prayer have to be no or not yet or not in this way. But of one thing we can be absolutely sure, he, he cares for us, he knows us through and through, and he understands, he understands. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears. To the one who was able to save him from death and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. He understands. Today is the third Sunday in Advent and soon we'll be singing Christmas carols at the top of our voices. But before we do that, let's just pause for a moment and consider the event we're celebrating. It's the moment when God became a human being. We were thinking about that this morning, thinking about the glory of God and what the true glory of God is. And I was saying that we catch a glimpse of the glory of God when we see Mary holding a baby in her arms, when we see a young man dying on a cross, when we see an empty grave in a quiet, beautiful Easter morning. That's the glory of God. And it's the incarnation, the fact that Jesus revealed God in himself that assures us that he really does understand. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears. No one has to teach God what it means to pray with passion. It's paradoxical, isn't it? How can God pray? Well, in Jesus, he did. Some lovely words from 
Frederick William Faber. Ever when tempted, let me see beneath the olive's moon-pierced shade, my God alone. Crushed and bruised and bleeding on the earth, he made. It's an incredible thought, isn't it? But that's what happened. That's at the heart of the Christian faith. God became a human being in that one man's life and he shared everything we experience. That's why he understands. Don't you think it hurt as they drove the nails into his hands? Don't you think the lash stung his back, tearing away the flesh, cutting through to the bone? Wherever you're standing, he has stood. Do you feel betrayed? He was betrayed. Do you feel alone? He felt like that too. Do you feel that even God has given up on you? Well, he was even there. Matthew 27, 46, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Okay, he understands. But what difference does that make? What difference does that make? How does his caring connect him with us and affect the pain that we suffer? Came across this remarkable story. People had come early on Christmas Eve for the 11 p.m. service at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. Among them was a recovering alcoholic, six months sober, who slipped in to a row near the back. This was the first Christmas since his wife and family had had enough of him. They'd thrown him out. They'd told him that they couldn't stand his alcoholism anymore. Well, as he sat there at the back, about four rows in front, a family, mother, father, two children, came in and sat down, and seeing them together was too much for him. He just couldn't handle it. He had to get out and have a drink. As he moved out of the church towards the door, he ran into the pastor. Jim, where are you going? The pastor asked. Oh, I'm going out for a drink, he replied. Jim, you can't do that. He knew Jim was a recovering alcoholic. Is your sponsor available? Now, the sponsor, of course, as you maybe know, is another alcoholic who's designated from amongst the AA meeting to be there when the person whom he's looking after is on the edge of giving in. And Jim replied, it's Christmas Eve. My sponsor is in Minnesota, thousands of miles away. There's no one who can help me. I came here tonight for a word of hope. And I came, I, I ended up sitting behind this family. If I got my life together, that would be me with my wife and kids. Well, the pastor took him into the vestry to talk with a couple of other elders and slipped back into the church having no idea of what to do. And he whispered a prayer as he went. Lord, could you give me a word of hope for Jim? Well, he welcomed everyone, made a few announcements, and then he said, 
I have one final announcement. If anyone here tonight is a friend of Bill Wilson, and you'll know if you are, I want you to come with me now to the vestry. Now, Bill Wilson was one of the co-founders of Alcoholics Anonymous. He's known as Bill W. And from all over the church, men and women got up and quietly made their way out of the sanctuary. And with the pastor, they headed for the vestry. They were Jim's word of hope. And he found himself surrounded by friends who understood because they had faced the same temptation. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted just as we are. Jesus said it many, many times that it was a person's faith which gave them healing. Now, I've always been fascinated by that remark because I've never quite understood it. What did Jesus mean? Can we increase our faith by supreme emotional effort and pump it up like a bicycle pump? I wonder if grasping that God is with us in our suffering is part of what Jesus meant when he spoke about faith. If we could accept that instead of being on the fringe of our pain, God is actually in the midst of it, sharing it with us. Maybe it would unlock the door to his healing power. See, if we're honest, most of us, when we come to pray, we, we think of God as an unwilling despot instead of children to their father. Most of us substitute hope for faith. And there's a very, very subtle difference between hope and faith, isn't there? No wonder our prayers are ineffective. Hebrews 4.16 is such a wonderful promise. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That grace will be available. Faith is experimental. In other words, it works blindly, it walks blindly but boldly, and faith is the key to, healing, key to healing. David Watson, the great Bible teacher, was a man of great faith, and yet in spite of many prayers, he was not healed. He died of cancer. How do we react to that? By giving up? Certainly not. Healing is much, much more than God doing what we want him to do. And faith, again, is the key to the mystery. This is what David Watson said in his book, Fear No Evil. William Temple put it once like this. People say there cannot be a God of love because if there was and he looked at the world, his heart would break. And the church points to the cross and says, it did break. People say, it's God who made the world, it's he who should bear the load. 
and the church points to the cross and says he did bear it. Although Christ has suffered once for all on the cross for our sins, he still weeps today with those who weep. He feels our pain and he enters into our sorrows with compassionate love. And I believe that involvement in human suffering is one of the ways, perhaps the most important ways, in which God brings about our healing. But we've got to take hold of it seriously and not just treat it as an interesting theological position. We've got to use it as a basis for our prayer for healing. Let's take it seriously tonight. Let's come and ask for what we really need. Let's come to someone who, because of his own experience, stands in the midst of our pain. I found these words part of a poem by someone called Mag Olson. God says, I am the love that lit the lamp of faith. I am the love that weeps in the pity of your tears and wakes to action in your questions. I am the love that waits for you, my sons and daughters, to stand in faith and claim the world to be. Well, are we ready to make that claim?